2: where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Tim.
3: And it's Amy from Go With Less. This is Amy.
2: And
4: this is Bob Haynes, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Fire,
1: he guffawed, or maybe he chortled – As the word financial independence rolled off his lips, I could hear the sarcasm. Come on, he said. How many of those guys, and let me tell you, he used the word guys. I didn't. How many of those guys really retired early? Most of them have a blog or a podcast or selling some course or another. They haven't really retired. They're just making money off all their followers. And of course, the first thing I felt was anger. I could think of many people in the financial independence movement who had made their money first, who had found financial independence and retired early, and then afterwards had built a platform, whether that platform was a blog or a podcast, or if they were selling some type of book or course, most of them had already become financially independent before they started receiving revenue from all of these various different projects they were involved in. But I could see his point. Certainly there are many people who are benefiting off the financial independence retire early movement. There are many thought leaders who are out there producing content and they're making money off that content. So it made me wonder are there any of us out there, content producers, bloggers, podcasters, thought leaders, who are not making any money off their content? People who retired maybe in their 30s or 40s and built a drawdown plan based on their investments, maybe their real estate, but we're not planning on making any extra money. Those people are interesting to me because they're not the ones who are always talking the loudest in a crowded room. And speaking of community, before we get into the meat of the interview, I just wanted to remind about the What's Up Next Facebook group. You can find us by going to the website, diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. If you like the conversations and panels we have here at the What's Up Next podcast, we continue the conversation in the Facebook group. There are postings multiple times a day, and it's a real great place for the community to come together and discuss all the important issues of the day. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next?
5: Well, hey, Doc, we have two couples today who are retired, and we're asking the question, how do I draw down correctly? Will I run out of money?
3: This is Amy. Tim and I blog and vlog at Go With Less, and we retired back in 2015. We are living completely off of our investments.
4: We're Bob and Amy from Surf City, New Jersey, and Amy retired back in 2018, and I retired in May of 2019. We just finished a nice six-week trip to Europe. Tim,
1: I'm actually going to start with you. Let's go back to the beginning. What was your career, and at what age did you actually fully retire?
2: I was a salesperson. I don't know. Amy's going to know better about when I fully retired than I am going to know when I fully retired. But I was a salesperson. So I was a technical guy that translated, that transferred into a sales role. I was a sales engineer and then became a sales guy. And so for like the last 10 years of my career, I was a salesperson. And so I had a variable income and I had a, a really good income from my sales career. I sort of had two phases to my <laughs> retirement. And this is the reason I'm sort of squishy about this. I actually left my work in, 20,
3: November of in November
2: of 2015. And then I stuck around my job. They asked me to stick around for a bit and do some consulting. And I was doing up to 15 hours a week worth of consulting. I did that for about 18 months and um, and then decided it wasn't for me. And then left fully in 20,
3: June of
2: 2017. There you go. Amy's better at math than me.
1: <laughs> and Amy R., tell us a little bit about your career. Was it stressful and, and what year did you retire in?
3: I was in business-to-business sales for most of my career, and that's a very, very stressful career. I was compensated for that stress, but nonetheless, it took its toll. I left in April of 2015 and have never looked back. Bob, you and I met
1: first, I believe, at Camp 5 Midwest, or maybe it was a Southwest. I can't remember. But when we first met and started talking Retirement really wasn't on your radar. And then I see you again at another campfire a year later and you're retired. What changed? What happened in that year's time?
4: The question that you asked the Rutherfords about the stress, right? I think that at some point I just realized that even though I was highly compensated, we had, you know, unfortunately gone to multiple funerals early in 2019. And you realize that, you know, you can always get more money, but you can never get more time. And a lot of times we end up leaving here quicker than we would think that we would leave here. And my wife and I have just been wanting to go on a grand adventure. We just decided the times now, let's, let's go make it happen.
1: And Amy, were you working at the time or were you not working?
0: No, I was not working. I left my career in April of 2018. Um, I was at the same company and in the same industry, which is the mortgage industry, for about 20, a little over 20 years. Um, And there was just major changes happening at my organization as well as in the industry. Um, They were selling off big parts of the company and I knew from where I was in the company that there were gonna be um, layoffs happening. So I made the decision late 2017 that I wanted to basically orchestrate my own layoff So I worked closely with the leadership team to do what I needed to do within the company to move around With the understanding that as the pieces were sold off and things were moving around that at the end I would be able to walk away So I walked away in april of 2018 From the company and then also from at least for now from my career And at that time,
1: did you have any idea that Bob would be doing the same thing a short time later? Or when you were leaving, you're like, well, yeah, but Bob is still going to be working.
0: We had talked about it. It's something that he was more involved with or interested in. Frankly, when he had first brought it up to me, I thought he was crazy in 2017 about me, you know, leaving and then not looking for something else. So we had a lot of conversation about it. I don't know if I knew that it was going to happen when it did. Honestly, he had said that it was going to happen when I left. And then, you know, there's that one more year, one more month type thing. We had talked about it, but it wasn't necessarily we had a date for when he was going to be leaving.
1: Tim, Bob mentions this idea of going to funerals and how it affected his retirement plans.
2: Your health played a role a little bit in yours too. Is that right? Largely. Yeah. I When I was ready to retire, I had high blood pressure. I couldn't sleep at night. I had high cholesterol. I had a bout of vertigo, vertigo in Texas. Amy had to drive from Colorado to Texas to come pick me up. I was That's on awesome. a business trip. And so that, that certainly factored into... Um, me leaving my career. And I think ultimately Amy as well, I think it would factor into her leaving her career.
3: And let me jump in for just a second. Tim was on an airplane Tuesday through Friday, almost every week for over 10 years. So he was all over the country. He was all over Canada and the United States, different time zones throughout the week. So he would be up at four in the morning for a cheap flight. He always was trying to save his company money. So he would fly at totally weird hours. So he would get up at four in the morning for a flight and come home at two in the morning from a flight be on three different time zones. And of course, he had really bad insomnia. And he also was 40 pounds heavier than he is now. Yeah.
1: And Amy R., it seems like your path that led you to where you are today actually probably started back in 2012 when you met with an insurance advisor. Talk about how that changed your way of thinking about retirement.
3: I am second generation FIRE so my parents retired in their 40s they weren't planning they were planning to take a 3 year sabbatical and it turned into a permanent retirement so I had that as an example and even though I had that as an example I still didn't know that it was possible for my life my parents were wall street bankers in the 80s and I didn't have that kind of income or that kind of a career to I didn't think that I could make that happen. So Tim and I had an idea though, that we love traveling. We didn't want to work forever. And we had an idea that we wanted to retire early, but we didn't know if we needed $500,000 or $500 million. We had absolutely no, truly no idea. So we went just, we, this wasn't even part of our, the retirement wasn't even part of our thought when we went to a life insurance agent, but the life insurance agent asked us, about, uh, would you guys want to go back to work? Say the other one, of, one of you passes away. Does the other one want to go back to work immediately to support your life because you both have an income? And we've thought about it. I said, no, I, I don't want to go back to work two weeks later with this big giant house to support. Let's talk about life insurance to cover me. And that is where we learned the 4% rule. He introduced us to the 4% rule and said, how much do you have? Let's bridge the gap of how much you have and how much you're going to need to maintain this life And when we got home, it kind of had a bit of a light bulb moment. Now we know how much we need to retire.
2: And he didn't refer to it as the 4% rule either. He just gave us the math. And then we subsequently found out that it was the 4%.
3: And in a nutshell, it was like, here's how much you need to never work again. we said, there's our number. At our current spending level, that number was $2.875 million.
1: And what year would you have gotten there if you had stayed on the same trajectory? Uh,
3: 2025.
1: And when did you actually retire? 2015. Bob, that's a huge difference, right? In the expected retirement date yeah. from the actual retirement date. Tell us a little bit about when you discovered this early idea of retirement and then how long it took you to actually get to retiring.
4: Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question. It's interesting to think about. So first time I really found the, the community or the idea of early retirement was Jacob Lund Fisker's Early Retirement Extreme, and my recollection of reading that book was I was super excited and gave it to my wife and she gave it back to me the next day and said, I'm not splitting two-ply toilet paper into single ply. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess this isn't what we're doing. I rediscovered it listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast. I heard Mr. Money Mustache on there and I was like, you know what, let me, let me just go and look at this website because I never even heard of this guy before and yet he's one of the most requested guests for, for Tim Ferriss. I found the simple math early retirement. I showed it to Amy and frankly, we were, we were actually already there. The numbers already worked out at that point in time. But I think psychologically, it took us some time to be able to digest that and then couple that with a little bit more of the one more year syndrome. And that's why we you know, kind of took a couple more years to, to really get to where we are.
1: Amy addressed this idea, Amy H., of fear versus reality. So you look up at Jacob Lund Fisker and you start worrying about having to split the toilet paper into two <laughs> ply. How does that fear compare to the reality of what you actually had to do to retire early? Did you have to cut a lot of corners?
0: No, not at all. I think the reality is completely different than what uh, my expectation was obviously, if anyone's read that book, you know that he lives on a, a very, very small amount of money, and having that be my first introduction to it, that was just too too extreme for me. Then, when we started looking at it from more of a moderate look at the numbers, really, what happened for for me was Bob and I never budgeted. We basically, we you know, we we put a certain amount of money into different accounts and whatever was left you know we spent or or it just continued to grow frankly in our in our accounts because we didn't live up to our spending didn't live up to what we were making so when we actually started talking about it seriously and looked at the amount of money that we were spending every month and, you know, we kind of sat there and did the budget and I kept saying any number we came up with, I would say, well, plus 300 for just in case. Or And then there was an Amy discretionary fund each month that I can do whatever I want with. Put all of these numbers together and then it got to the point where, okay, well, this is the final number and guess what? We're already still there. You know, okay, well, let me add another $500 a month be- just because and okay, well, we're still there. So when it got to the point where I could see that I wasn't going to have to change anything about my life. And frankly, I was going to gain so much for my life because I was in a career where I worked excessive hours and, you know, the phone was constantly attached to me and email first thing in the morning and last thing before I went to bed at night and realizing that all of that goes away. I get all of this extra time and I don't have to give up anything. That's when it became more of a uh, something that I would really consider. And then once it became reality, I don't understand why it took us so long to get here, honestly.
1: Tim, Amy H is talking about cushions in the budget. And if I recall in 2012, you were budgeting $115,000 a year in spending. Talk a little bit about what you ended up spending by the time you hit 2015 and you were retiring early. What was your budget then?
2: Yeah. In, in 2015, I think we were spending about, well, we had set aside that we were a target of $50,000. So we changed our lifestyle drastically. So we went from this 115 a year that we were spending and we were looking at spending in order to make our numbers work, about fifty thousand dollars a year worth of spending. Ultimately, once we made the transition, we sold our big house, we sold one of our cars, and we moved into our townhome. We had a fifty thousand dollar amount of money that we could spend. We're spending about thirty six k a year now. So we've made some really drastic changes in our spending and in our lifestyle. But the interesting thing about that transition from spending one hundred and fifteen k a year to where we are now at roughly 36K, but is that our life is actually better now than when we were spending 115K a year. So we're, we don't feel like we are deprived in any way, shape or form with our current spending.
1: Amy, I'll speak to that a little more. I mean, is it a sacrifice to go from $115,000 a year to $36,000 a year?
3: It's hard to imagine, but it really isn't. So when we decided to move into our rental, so we left a gigantic 6,000 square foot house. Ha-
2: we're also not splitting our toilet paper. I just to
3: <laughs> out there. We were going to leave our 6,000 square foot house. We decided to move into a townhouse rental. And it was a real vanilla rental at the time. And I sat in the unfinished rental and I sat here and I said, you know, I will give up just about anything not to work again. So I'm prepared to make some sacrifices. I'm prepared to cut our, I mean, our, our $115,000 life, It's hard to believe it. We truly believe we were frugal at that point. We truly believe that we didn't have a lot of fat to cut, Uh, truly. So here we were and said, I'll never be able to go out to eat again. I'll never, uh, I'm going to make all sorts of cuts. And however, I am prepared to make sacrifices to have the freedom to never work again. And I liked my job. My best friends were at work, but it was very stressful. So I wanted that freedom. I was prepared to hunker down and take the sacrifices with the freedom. The biggest surprise of all is how unbelievable our life is. The sacrifices were not sacrifices. So now instead of going out to eat whenever we want and it's not really a special treat, it is a special treat. So now dining out actually becomes a a, a really special thing and we enjoy it more than we ever have we became better cooks. Tim lost forty pounds because we cooked most of our food at home, because we had the time to cook our food at home. And we liked what we were eating better at home. So it was it just it gave us more intentionality and, and what we did spend money on, we really appreciated it more and we really had a, a 180 shift. I
2: think it's also sort of we like this uh, the frugality. It's like a game for us. So the, the if we can do things for less money, it's like it's a win. Every time we spend a little less money or we find a way to do something for less money there's a win in that. So it's, it's a gamified thing for us.
5: So let's get specific on that. So you mentioned that you're not eating out as much, but uh, at the time where you living in Denver, I, am I, am I getting that right?
3: Yes. Just out the yeah, suburb of Denver,
5: suburb of Denver and you're spending 115 and you dropped it down to 36 I don't think eating out alone drops it from that much. So is it the housing and the food and cutting yeah. the car was that was that the three things? Pretty much.
2: I mean so the the the, the three big things that everybody the house, has the, the house, house was the big thing and then our car would cars would have been next and then food is probably after that. That's exactly right. And we had a mortgage when we were spending 115k a year and the 115k didn't accommodate any of the principal that was just the interest but so we were spending actually more than 115 k nonetheless. So when we did away with that mortgage, we moved into a townhome that we have completely paid for. So we no longer have a mortgage. And so we went from having a mortgage to not having a mortgage and having a townhome that's completely paid for. So that line item completely went out of our budget.
1: Bob and Amy, I want to contrast that what the Rutherfords are saying to what your experience has been. Did you find that once you both stopped working that there were a lot of cuts you made or did you continue doing things the way you were doing them?
4: Yeah, I think for the most part where we were really fortunate is that we kind of never experienced the lifestyle creep that a lot of Americans do as they advance in their careers. The fortunate thing for us is that because we didn't really have the lifestyle creep as both of us really advanced in our careers, we were able just to Naturally, increase our savings rates significantly over time. You know, Amy would say to me from time to time, like, we don't live in the vice president neighborhood, or like, we don't drive the vice president cars, or you know, this kind of thing, which is totally true. And that was just a natural side effect of the fact that we didn't have this lifestyle creep. So, the nice thing for us is we're spending a bit more than what we've put down for our optimal uh, retirement budget here, just because we have some big travel that we want to get done in this early part of our retirement. But I think it'll be very easy for us to naturally set, settle into. We've got our optimal budget at around $66,000 a year. And what we consider to be our bare bones budget, because the 66000 is very extravagant for us to be about $36,000 a year. So we've got a lot of flexibility built in there. And most of that that 30K is really in fun things like big travel and trips that we like to do.
1: Amy H, it sounds like your friends and family are used to you guys not living high on the hog, so to speak. It sounds like you lived very reasonable lives. Were they surprised when you both retired? How did they feel about it? And what did they say when you gave them the big news that neither of you were going to be working again?
0: I think the family, we had talked about it with them a little bit beforehand, so I think they knew it was coming. To be completely honest, I don't think all of our friends actually know at this point. Um, the way we delivered the message, obviously, I left when with a layoff, so you know the expectation was that I was taking some time off. I did get severance, so I think they thought it was reasonable that after 20 years of working at the same place, getting a six, severance package, that I was taking some time off. Bob has delivered his message a bit similar in the sense that he says that he's taking a year off to travel. So there are some people who we're close enough with that kind of get the wink and know that that's not necessarily what we're doing. But many of our friends, or at least extended friends, don't necessarily know that we're to the point where we'd never have to go back to work again.
1: Bob, is it just easier to tell them, yeah, I'm just taking a year off?
4: Yeah. You know, it's interesting how, um, <laughs> oftentimes I'll think I'm right and my wife is wrong, but, uh, it really <laughs> the, the, the reverse is actually probably true. Uh, last year in 2018, when, when she was leaving, she was, um, she was very thoughtful when people were asking her what she was going to do. And she was a bit stressed about it. And I'm like, why are you so stressed? Just tell people you're not working anymore. What's the big deal? Like, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. And, you know, fast forward a year and a couple months later, and it's my turn to deliver the message to people like, hey, I'm not working anymore. And, and I'm, I'm telling Amy, yeah, I'm just going to tell them I'm taking a year off. And she's like, well, why? Why are you doing that? Just be honest with them. Tell them you don't have to work again. My wife is definitely smarter than me. Tim and Amy, you guys did the exact opposite. You went
1: out and made a series of YouTube videos. I think what it was seven or eight of them, maybe even more about why and how you retired in your forties. Were you concerned about any blowback from that series?
3: I'm going to go with no, because we didn't know that anybody would see it. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but I feel, I am evangelical about sharing the message that you do not have to, die at your desk consuming and spending more so the hanes got it right they didn't have the lifestyle creep but we did have the lifestyle creep most people we knew had the lifestyle creep and you don't have to have the lifestyle creep i wanted to share with people that you could deflate your lifestyle you could have options there, so we have figured out a way to do just about everything in life less expensively and still have an amazing life. So even though we've reigned in our spending so much, our life has not reigned in. Our life has, has quadrupled in fabulousness. But I would, I'd be sharing this message with anybody who would hear, really. People would often ask, like, how did you retire in your 40s? And I said, you know, this really isn't like a two-sentence. People want like two words. This isn't a two-sentence answer. And we decided we'll, we'll create a, a little series on YouTube. And that kind of is where we started with our YouTube. And now it's morphed into a weekly video about this lifestyle. And I, I think it's our responsibility to show people that this is an option in their life.
1: And Tim, how did people respond to that series of videos? Did they understand did they ask you lots of questions afterwards?
3: You know, I
2: don't think originally, the, this, as Amy mentioned, it didn't get a lot of views. So I think, um, but over time, actually yesterday, we just that we have 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel now. So that seems to be growing. So people seem to be resonating with the message. Also, Amy mentioned this lifestyle deflation thing. So I, I struggle with that term. I have a, a love-hate relationship with it because it's not very representative. Our lifestyle is inflated. Our spending is simply deflated. But I do, I, I like the term just because it's in, in opposition to lifestyle inflation, but uh, it just, it leaves a sort of a, a weird message, I think, in that uh, pe- people don't like the idea of I'm going to, my lifestyle is going to have to change so drastically. It's going to be deflated. Like Amy mentioned, our life is so much better now that we have our freedom. It's, it, it's, it's just hard to describe.
1: I want to transition a little bit here, and I'm going to start with Bob and Amy. Bob, do you guys have any active income streams above and beyond investments right now?
4: We currently don't have any income streams right now beyond our interest and in dividends that's coming from our portfolio. However, we did have an unexpected stream of consulting revenue from Amy earlier this year. Uh, after she left she was being pursued by her old boss to come back and work and when it was super cold here in February she decided she wanted to uh, maybe get out of the house and and uh, use her skills and she did about 10 weeks of consulting earlier this year it wasn't in the plan at all but it was a it was a nice happy surprise
1: and Amy would you have done that same consulting if they paid you half or if they didn't pay you at all
0: I may have. I don't think Bob would have been happy if I did that. But I, for me, again, I left in April of 2018. Didn't necessarily say I was retiring. I was leaving, obviously taking the time, travel, whatever we were going to do but i did struggle a little bit with that and you know what is what am i going to focus on now and things so when it got to be cold in the in the winter and he was calling multiple times there was part of me that wanted to go back just to see if i could still do it and make sure i didn't didn't lose my my skills or i i you know i wasn't getting you know my brain wasn't getting mushy or something so i probably would have done it for less money the money is is the indication that you know how much he really wanted me to come back so so, you know, that was part of the, the draw, but I may have done it. And, and in the future, I may do it for less money just because it was something that I chose to do, you know, for my own for my own self.
1: So it wasn't about padding the bank accounts per se.
0: No, it wasn't. If anything, Bob and I had to have a conversation of what was that going to do to our, our, our taxable income for the year. So from an income perspective, it, it, I didn't do it for the income. I did it more for uh, for myself.
1: Tim, same question to you. Right now, as you guys stand, do you have any active income coming in uh, besides what you make off
2: investments? We do. It's a small amount of YouTube income, so it's um, four, or five, less than five hundred dollars a month. Maybe Actually, it's
3: significantly less. We're uh, roughly. It's going to be about thirty-five hundred dollars for the whole year for from YouTube. Yep.
2: And I had a similar. I mentioned earlier. I had a, a, uh, Amy H had mentioned she had this consulting gig. When I left my work. I had a consulting gig that was paying me about $50,000 a year, which sort of covered us. So I mentioned that I worked for 18 months. And part of that was it was just a comfort thing for us. When we both left our work, we had never lived on $50,000 a year. We weren't sure that this math was going to work. We had ran the numbers and we were going to be in our townhome and the math seemed like it was going to make sense, but we weren't confident that it was going to be the case. So this number, this making $50,000 worth of income, basically pay for our life. And so I did that for uh, 18 months. months. And then we decided that it was time for me to go as well. And we were well down the path of just living on 36K. So we knew it was going to work. And that gave us, I think, uh, an additional level of comfort. So we didn't just go cold turkey.
3: And I want to jump in here. So we didn't just decide that Tim didn't want to do that. Tim looked over at me after 18 months of him doing the consulting and said, I want your life. I don't want to be doing this consulting. I want to be doing what you're doing as a full retiree. I'm out of here. So I I said it's kind of a shame that 10 hours will support our uh, 10 to 15 hours a week will support our entire needs for income for the year, but I get it. He still had the pit in his stomach every Sunday night even though so even though he only worked up to 10 15 hours a week and he may have worked 0 hours a week because that was an option. So he still had the, he wasn't able to offload the mental piece of it. And that was somewhat unfortunate because, uh, like I said, if he could have just kind of just checked in Dennis, 15 hours and checked out, that would have been smooth sailing. But, and I understand on Sunday night, he had the dread in his stomach. He had the long to do list. He had the, I don't know, the stress that was keeping him up at night. So he wasn't, he still had the stress of the four, the, the full-time work without most of the benefits
1: you ever scrolling through your facebook feed and wonder boy i wish i could listen to another episode of the what's up next podcast well now you can engage our content in two different ways one you can go to our website www.diversify.com that is d-i-v-e-r-s EFI.com and go to the top and just click on the podcast button or you can check us out on facebook at the what's up next podcast facebook group the easiest way to get there is www.diversify.com backslash facebook that's d-i-v-e-r-s-e-f-i.com backslash facebook we hope to see you there and engage with our community on topics very similar to the ones you'll find on the podcast now back to the show That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code EARN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code EARN50 at factormeals.com slash EARN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Amy, let me turn this around a little bit. If you're a content producer the way we are, Often you get people who come to your site and say, ha ha, you know, if you put a few more hours into this, you could be, instead of making $3,500 a year, you could be making $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month or $5,000 a month. If you saw an avenue with the YouTube channel to work harder and yet have it pay you more, do you think you would be interested in doing that?
3: Well, isn't that an interesting question because we have been presented with that when uh so we have entered into an agreement with a company that provides credit card commissions and Tim and I are huge huge travel hackers we are going to be full time 365 day international nomads we travel massively we use and talk about credit cards on our channel and we love them so we're sending people to credit cards like crazy to sign up and we haven't had any benefit from that whatsoever so we've just entered into an agreement and part of that means it would be a good idea if we had a blog to go with our video channels well we haven't done our blog for two years we didn't really like doing our blog but now we've been offered the opportunity to have this extra money come in and i'm i'm wired to work is is how this really goes So Tim says, we don't need it. Why would you take that on? I said, it's kind of like we're already doing it. We're already talking about it. Let me just churn out a a, a blog post a week and let's see how that goes. I can't turn it down. So it's my nature. It's just my nature. So the answer to you is yes. If we were offered $1,000 a month to do more work, which we have pretty much been, the answer is yes. And we're just going to see how it goes. And we should have that going and hopefully in January and to say like, here are the credit cards that we've been using to fund our lifestyle.
1: Tim, is there a fear that this will turn into that very job that you guys were trying to escape? (laughs) Yes.
3: Even though I promised Uh, Tim, you don't have anything to do with it. Tim doesn't. That is not true. I promised it. He doesn't believe
2: it. I'm also uh, I'm concerned, like Amy H mentioned earlier, that it's going to mess up our taxes. So I have all these these tax plans, and so we're actually moving to Texas uh, as soon, or we're going to domicile in Texas. We won't have a home, and so once we're there, and the reason we're moving is because of taxes. We're trying to get away from Colorado state income tax, and since we don't have a home. We can live any place, so we're going to live in a place where taxes are, uh, are zero. Yeah, that's a concern for us. And I, I definitely don't like the idea of having anything that looks or feels like a job. That, <laughs> that, that is not, not on my radar. And so hopefully this doesn't translate into that. And we can cut bait at any time. So if we decide that this just isn't something we, we mutually agree that this isn't something we're going to do, we'll, we'll just pull the plug.
1: Bob, this reminds me that we, I think, as people are wired towards accumulation. And in fact, if you look at the FIRE blogosphere and community, we spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to make and accumulate money. On the other hand, we don't necessarily talk about how we're going to draw down. How are we going to use that money as time goes by and we don't have anything more coming in? How much time did you
4: think about your drawdown strategy before you left work? We didn't spend a lot of time on it at all. I did discover the, the chain out there that I think either Fritz or Leaf from Retirement Manifesto or Physician on Fire started with the drawdown strategies. So we were aware of the drawdown strategies, but you know, I kind of said we had built up enough of a cash cushion that we could live probably for five years uh, certainly three to five years on just our cash so that we didn't really have to worry about selling any equities, which I think both Amy and I, when we get to that point, are uh yeah, I think we'll we'll be a little anxious about hitting the sell button because we're not familiar with that. We're just familiar with the buy button. Amy H, talk about that idea of
1: of actually having to sell equities. Does that cause you some angst?
0: Absolutely. I think uh I mean it's a joke but it's not that my grandmother started an account for uh, all of you know her grandchildren when we were very very young and I honest to god think I still have that addition that money I still have it I just it's just always been my nature to save so Bob and I have had conversation about it partially joking and partially not right now we're in a situation where we haven't had the to sell anything but we are going to feel angst when when it happens even though we know that's what we're planning for and we've run the numbers every every way you possibly can and know that it's absolutely appears to work but we are going to probably have a little bit of a pit in our stomach when we for the first time actually sell equities
1: bob do you already have it mapped out in your mind so you have your cash cushion you have your taxable accounts and of course you have retirement accounts. Do you already know right now what order in which you're going to draw from and when?
4: Yeah, I think we generally, we know, you know, the broad strokes of it. So we're fortunate in that we've got almost a 50-50 split in terms of uh, retirement and non-retirement accounts. We have slightly more in retirements, like 53% of our... Investments are there, and 47 are in our taxable brokerage accounts. So the nice thing for us is we likely have more than enough money to get us to traditional retirement by only touching what's in our taxable buckets. And so we could literally, quite literally, fail at early retirement and still be completely fine with uh, traditional retirement. The plan is right now is we're we're just living on cash, and once we've drawn that down probably be, you know, three and a half, four and a half years from now, something like that we'll have our dividend and interest coming in and then whatever the Delta is, it's probably about, if we're going on that $66,000 budget, about a third of it we'll have in dividends and interest. So that means we'll need to make up the other two thirds by selling equities. We'll be able to do that easily without, you know, doing any sort of Roth conversions, although we may do Roth conversions just to avoid some RMDs in the future. I don't want to keep it. I don't, I don't want to go too, too deep down the rabbit hole here, but yeah, I think broad strokes, I think we have a good handle on what we're going to do.
1: Amy R., did you guys think a lot about your drawdowns uh, strategy before you retired?
3: And I, I would love to delve into this because there were a lot of emotions and we as a couple have very different emotions. So what I felt is not what Tim felt. When we met with the consultant a financial consultant to really understand that our plan worked and i had already left the workforce by that time but we had a big check plus from from our consultant that yeah this this is a solid plan now when i was so tim has three children from a prior marriage because he was on the plane every week i was home with the children we had children who needed a mom when they were with us and when I went back to so I was out of the workforce for five years. When I went back to work, we put 100% of my income into investments without exception. We also have a nice amount of money that's already been taxed. So we had money in taxable accounts and pre tax accounts, also kind of a 50 50. But we do have a plan to withdraw the post tax money and live on that. And we have been doing that. And I'll tell you, It does mess with my mind, and it still does. We've been doing it for over two years, maybe two and a half, three years. We've been withdrawing our investments. And just as Bob and Amy mentioned, like hitting that sell is... We've been going one-sided, saving, saving, saving our entire life. And withdrawing, I think that it... It does get, it still gives me anxiety. It's been over three years and we're doing better on our plan than we ever thought we would. The run-up of the stock market since 2015 is, has really bolstered our position, but that doesn't mean, there's a lot of mental with this and, most our, and it affected me.
2: And most of our portfolio isn't, We're not, it's not dividends and interest that we're living off of. It is off, it's either cash that we have in truly a purely cash event account. So we have about two to three years worth of cash that's earning 2% interest, which is maybe foolish in some people's eyes. And then our, the rest of our money that we have that's already been taxed is in stuff that we sell on occasion to have capital gains. So most of the, the taxable income that we're going to have in a given year is, is capital gains versus dividends and interest. Assuming it, uh, it doesn't go to zero, we think that we'll get, we have enough money to last us in those uh, already taxed accounts uh, two or three years past our retirement age.
1: And Amy, if you actually have to go towards the pre tax accounts, do you have a plan for how you would access those?
3: We do not plan to access that money. We would make drastic changes to our life. We would move to another country. We would We also, even at $36,000 or so of spending, we still have an, We traveled for maybe 130 days this year, 110 last year. We have massive fat. I have, an, I have a fancy gym. There's all kinds of fat, even in that low number. So we would make changes. Uh, before we touch and have any kind of penalties on that money. And Tim looks at this very, very logically. So Tim is like, this plan worked. And, and we are in, in really a great position because we are, we're able to spend $50,000. We're spending about $36,000. The market has been doing better and better the entire time since we started uh, like our, our clock ticking with our 4% rule. And so things, things are smooth sailing. But we would look at geographic arbitrage before we tapped into those accounts, I believe.
1: Bob, what do you think about what Amy R. just said? If it got to the point where you were thinking about tapping into your pre-tax accounts, would you cut the fat first or would you start working on your Roths or accessing that money in a different way?
4: Just like Amy R said, we have a lot of fat. I mean that sixty six thousand dollar like optimal budget is um probably a third of that is really you know highly discretionary we could We can come way back on our uh, annual budget and uh, and still live very, very luxuriously Amy h, do you
1: think you would cut back or would you start working again
0: ooh. I think it would depend on what we were cutting back on. (laughs) And I think it also would depend on how far into it we are. I think every day that goes by and every month that goes by as not working may make it harder to go back. So probably a combination.
1: Tim and Amy, whenever I have this conversation, I think immediately of Big Earn and his like 20 part series on the safe withdrawal rate.
2: Did you guys read that series, Tim and Amy? And if you did, did it scare you? I have not. So what is it, what's? can you net it out for us? And uh, maybe we'll tell you if it scares us or not.
5: You oh. you may never ever want to hear this. <laughs> so,
2: so Big Earn did a
1: series of, I think, about 20 posts, right? About the 30. safe withdrawal rate. And in some ways, he debunks a lot of what we think. And in other ways, he supports it. But I will tell you, one of the downsides is he's detailed enough that it certain, certainly sometimes scares us. Bob Haynes, I saw you uh, smiling and shaking your head. Did you read parts of that series?
4: Yeah, I, I read, uh, miraculously, I've read the entire series. And yes, it is, you know, I'm one that's prone to be super cautious, always double and triple and quadruple checking things. So when you read Big Earn's work, you really get that feeling like, holy cow, am I sure that I've really dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's here because um, it doesn't seem like it. And certainly he has uh, one of the chains of the uh, position on fire started with the here's my strategy. So he has that and you read that thing and it's like, you know, he's going to do a doctoral dissertation just on how he's doing his safe withdrawal. And it's like, holy cow, I can't, I can't do that. So the nice thing I think for us is we've just built, you know, so much of a cushion into the both the saving side, where we really oversaved where we needed to be, and then also, like Amy talked about, you know, kind of fluffing up the budget and putting things in that we probably don't even need, but just to make ourselves feel better, we feel like we've got enough in there that you know we're, we're going to be okay the whole idea of you know what's enough if you think about it like going back to i mean we we just crossed the the atlantic we did a transatlantic cruise on Holland America's new Staten dam and it was like the decadence that we experienced on board. I mean, I was saying to my wife and, and our travel companions, it's like, we are crossing the Atlantic better than royalty, than, than kings and queens did, you know, 100 and 200 years ago. The fact that we can live this lifestyle, this fits into our budget. I mean, it's just, it, it really is ridiculous. And we're super blessed and, and very have a lot of gratitude. The fact that we, you know, live here in this country in this day and age and we know what financial independence is and we've been able to achieve it. And then we're having this conversation with you guys today about it. I mean, we're just so fortunate. It just blows my mind.
1: I will mention too that Big Earn usually says that when people come to him for consulting he most of the time feels that people are being too safe and not the other way around so okay. even with his set of 20 posts about the safe withdrawal rate uh, we are conservative in by nature in this community and i think it definitely shows so we're talking about drawdown, Tim and Amy. How often do you guys reassess your drawdown strategy? How often do you sit with all the numbers and say, okay, we're fine?
2: I'd look at the numbers on a daily basis. And so like I'm i I pay close attention to sort of what's going on. Our withdrawal rate's about it's under three percent. It's under two so percent. Looking at our initial number when we left our work, it's at about uh with the market growing, then it's probably what's happened with the market. It's under 2% of our current sort of net worth. We don't make any adjustments based upon the data that I'm bringing in. So we don't, I'm more concerned about our tax bill. And so I sort of, I do things like Roth conversions. I do things like uh, I'm only, most of our income is from capital gains. If I have any income in another year, we also have an ACA plan that is highly subsidized. And so, we have to keep our income low in order to make sure that we get the most of that subsidy. And so I'm paying close attention to the numbers just because I, primarily because of taxes.
3: And I I can speak to that a little bit as well. Tim has been tracking every single thing that we have spent since that he spent right out of college. And when we, I came in the picture that I spent as well, every single month we do a check-in and we look at every single thing that we spent. And it's, a delight because the numbers are are always pretty good and even when they're creeping up we've had some outlier expenses this year some of them we took our daughter to Europe for her high school graduation gift for example some of them were just extravagant fun things that we wanted to enjoy and some of them have been like replacing windows and an air conditioning unit that weren't so enjoyable but outliers nonetheless. So we do check in every single month and look at where we are, where we're tracking. And that's how we know we're a little bit over where we hoped to be in 2019, but still significantly under where we need to be.
5: So you touched on something there about the ACA and the subsidies that I'd like to touch on that we haven't really, wasn't really a part of the original plan, but it's something that I, I know I'm personally dealing with because I'm like post-retirement, you know, sure. not qualif- you know, technically employed, uh, but I still earn some income. What is So me and my wife have different feelings on this that I believe that we're eligible for, the, uh, for those subsidies because we're eligible. My wife's like, well, we don't need it. So why, why do you take it? Um, so let's talk about the mechanics of it first. What are ACA subsidies and how do you maximize those? And then let's talk about the question of, in our situation, should we actually make use of those subsidies?
2: I have a pre-existing condition. And so I have I had some back surgery three or four years ago. And so that makes it so that pretty much the ACA is the only thing that I, that I can do that's tr- truly affordable. We pay $14 a month for our $6,000 deductible ACA. Plan. Per person, per 6,000 each. Six, that's right. The way it basically works is that depending on what your income is, uh, that's how much subsidy you're gonna get. So once you get o- once you make over a certain amount of money, there's a cliff and you get no subsidy if you, there's actually a cliff at the bottom also if you make under a certain amount of money then you're 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 going to be on a, a medicaid plan right and so we can manipulate our income um, because we're living off capital gains and we have a lot of cash. So I don't necessarily have to have any income in a given year. We do that to make it so that we are maximizing that subsidy. And the subsidy equates to if we weren't maximi- if we weren't doing the subsidy, it's about a 10% penalty we'd be paying on our income if we weren't taking advantage of the subsidy. I don't know if that makes sense or not.
5: But it does make sense. So it, you do take a penalty at the other top end, but on the bottom end, when you get to Medicaid and if you don't take it, then I, if I understand right, there is not a penalty, um, especially if you have kids.
2: Yeah, that, that's, I think you're right. Yep. Yeah.
5: So, um, kind of, I'm curious what your thoughts are really all four of you, because this is a, a problem that I think a lot of people will face once they get post retirement, don't have income, and they are on the ACA plans. If you are doing a drawdown strategy, or in my mm-hmm. case, I'm doing real estate where I show a paper loss, I don't have income, yep. but I'm making money. Is it unethical to maximize your Medicaid benefit by keeping your income artificially low? Although it's legal, is it the right thing to do?
3: It's a hot potato question. I think that could be <laughs> an episode all on its so, own. So we <laughs> do it.
2: So we're going to go with, it's, it's completely ethical, but, uh, but I certainly understand where some people might have a different opinion there. But again for us it's just the way to make our insurance affordable without it our insurance would not be would be r- ridiculously expensive to have insurance right. to cover us
3: and i'm going to just jump in because i feel a little differently so we have two different insurance plans we also have liberty health shares one of the the missionary health plans that is what i consider as my primary insurance the only reason that that isn't our only insurance and that we're paying out of pocket for that completely is because of Tim's pre-existing condition. So the idea that he has this and Liberty Health Share says we will never, ever touch anything with Tim's back, even if he's in a car accident and it's in a different place in his back. We are not touching it. So he has to have a an, an ACA plan because of this pre-existing condition. And we do have a $6,000 deductible per person. Like it, it's not like we're, it's not, we're, we're trying not to use the plan where I haven't used it at all. So I had a flu shot this entire year for that plan. So am I getting any value out of it? No. Is the health Care uh, are the expenses for health insurance in this country completely needing a, a complete overhaul a hundred percent and this is the thing we hear about most from our subscribers and most in our life is what do you do for health insurance i would retire early if i could figure this piece out so th- i i think this is its own show to be honest yeah. mm-hmm.
2: but what's unethical is that the government has uh, put us in this situation so that's what i'd say is that it's like i i don't have a choice really other than to do something to make my health care affordable this is what i have to do
1: all right, Bob, let's round out this conversation. Quick answer, what's harder, planning on accumulating or planning on drawing down?
4: Oh, planning on drawing down is definitely harder. It's Amy not H? natural. Yeah, Amy oh, I, H., do you agree with that?
0: I definitely agree with that because I think what Bob mentioned in the beginning, we didn't really plan for accumulating. It just is what happened. We almost say we're accidental fire.
1: Tim and Amy, same question. What's more difficult, accumulating or drawing down?
3: I'm going to say drawing down purely because of the emotion behind it, but Amy Haynes just said, we're accidental fire as well. As soon as we ran our numbers, we're like, once we bring our spending down,
2: we're there too. Yep. Definitely agree. I think, as a matter of fact, somebody has that domain. There's a blogger Mm -hmm. that's accidental fire. That's uh, that's perfect. Exactly what we are. And
1: Bob Haynes, is there some insincerity in the fire community? There are a lot of people talking about drawing down, a lot of people talking about early retirement, and yet- they have income sources like their blogs or they have a spouse who still
4: works uh, are we being sincere in our community when we talk about drawing down i think we're being sincere i think w- what we have in the blogging or content creation community is just the you know selection bias right i mean there's certain certainly people that you know make money by talking about these topics but I don't think, like if you look at Mr. Money Mustache as an example, right, he was retired for, I don't know, four or five years before he even started blogging and making money at it. I don't think it's insincere at all. You know, it's something Amy and I have talked about, potentially starting a content platform, Not maybe not even about fire, but just doing something for our creative pursuits in, in, in the future. And I don't think that would... Uh, I mean, maybe the internet retirement police might want to take, uh, take our retirement card away, but I don't think it'll make us any less retired. I have a last
1: question. I want to run through the whole panel and I just want a yes or no answer. Do you have to sacrifice to retire early? Start us out, Amy R.
3: Absolutely not.
1: Tim, do you have to sacrifice to retire early? Nope. Amy H., is it all sacrifice? No fun? Not at all. Bob? Do you have to sacrifice to retire early? Not in the least.
5: Okay, well, I'd like to give you guys a chance to complete this conversation and think about the audience who's listening to this, who might be in a situation similar to yours. Will you run out of money? What should you be thinking about in the process? What would you share with them on what you've thought about your drawdown strategy that might be helpful to those listeners?
2: For us, we say that we have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. So our plan is that we're going to work with our drawdown. And if things go awful, if things happen in the market that have never happened before, and we don't have any money left, the whole world is going to be in a different situation. The nice thing about the fact that we've changed our lifestyle so much is we have so many options with what we've done with our our life that if we had to go back to work we could go we wouldn't have to go back to our crazy careers we could go be Walmart greeters or do something that is just a simple job and support our lifestyle whereas if we had our old lifestyle we wouldn't be able to to do that. And we also have the option of like Amy mentioned earlier, geographic arbitrage to keep our costs even lower. So it's, it's all about options. And we feel like that uh, because we've made the decisions that we've made, we now have these options and the freedom to
5: to do what works. Amy, any thoughts on that?
3: I think it's kind of to touch upon Tim, flexibility and adaptability is the key. So I think if there, were, there are two key tenets of FIRE to us, one of them is spending less and two is Flexibility and adaptability. The more flexible you can be, if you want to uh, sell your your the home that you've been in for thirty years that you can't bear to part with, just consider the freedom that it allows you to downsize. Being stuck in a place, being stuck in a home, being stuck in a location, these are very can be very costly. So as Tim mentions, I think our adaptability is pretty much our biggest tool that we have in our
5: toolbox. Wonderful. So Bob and Amy, same question, you guys, what would you share with our listeners about your experience that might help them?
4: Yeah. So, from my perspective, for the for the listeners today, I mean, if you're there, if you're there from a numbers perspective, and you have the tendency, which a lot of us do, for one more year syndrome, you know, I would say trust in trust in the numbers and you know pull the plug. I mean, I've been done now for six months and spending this last six months with Amy here at the beach in Long Beach Island and traveling, um, you know, to to Alaska and to Europe and. Transitioning across the uh, the Atlantic on a cruise ship. I mean, this has just been the best time of my life so far, and um, I go back to you can always make more money, and you can never make more time. So just let it rip.
0: Well, I think Bob said it pretty well, but um, you realize so much more about yourself when you don't have that. What are you? You're a vice president. So the last year and a half for me has been so much more about self discovery and things that I want to do and things that I want to be. Giving yourself the opportunity to do that is something that you'll never regret.
5: Yeah, I work with a lot of people who who are transitioning out of a W two type job and into some sort of um, side hustle or investment stream to cover their lives, and still yet nobody has said, you know what? I really miss the boardroom. I really wish I could go back to the cubicle. (laughs) All right, so. Amy and Bob, please give us a, let us know where we can find you. If you have any kind of presence online and share with us, what is up next with, with you in your life?
4: Sure. So, uh, Amy and I don't have a content platform, but you can reach both of us, Bob and Amy Haynes on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at RJ Haynes. And uh, what's up next? We just got back from Europe. We're going to stay here for holidays. And then we're off to Australia and New Zealand for a few months. And then we're doing another uh, Atlantic crossing back to Europe in April. And then we're going to be going with uh, Physician on Fire and his family um, on a Trans-Pacific cruise uh, after FinCon next year. So lots of travel in our future.
5: Sounds rough. I mean, I I really think maybe you should rethink your plan and go back to to (laughs) work because retirement just isn't suiting you guys very well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tim and Amy, same for you. Where can we find you and what is up next for you?
3: Every Wednesday, we come out with a new video on our YouTube channel called Go With Less. In the beginning of the year, we'll be getting our blog kicked off. And in the beginning of the year, we're hoping to have our home sold. So we'll have no home, no car, no furniture. We're going down to a five by five storage unit and we are hitting the world with just a carry on luggage. Our name is go with less and we are going with less. So we're looking forward to travel hacking and house sitting our way around the world. And we're looking to do that for about the next 10 years.
1: All right. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Tim and Amy Rutherford and Bob and Amy Haynes. That's a wrap. If you enjoyed this conversation about drawing down, I would also point you to episode 28, Do We Understand Risk? This was a conversation with Big Earn, Steve from Think Save Retire, Carl Jensen, Mr. 1500, and Todd Trezeder. And in this episode, we went deep into the risk profile for retiring early. We discussed the 4% rule, the safe withdrawal rate, and pretty much what our mindset should be when we're approaching early retirement. I think if you're going to understand how to draw down appropriately, you certainly need to understand risk. See you next week.
5: Very well done. Yep, I came with a new uh, a new episode right there on the spot doc. Like how <laughs> is it ethical to take um, subsidies.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's not just it's not just ACA, but it's also college. Right. Because if you have zero income when you're sending yeah, your kids to college, you can hack
5: the FAFSA. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so there it's that's a big question, because in the United States, we've decided that if it's legal, it's ethical.
3: Of, like, you guys are deadbeats sucking up <laughs> <out> of society.
5: <laughs> um, I help people transition out of that and build me a job, but then my kids are on Medicare. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you can edit out my mush mouth. Mush, mush <laughs> Don't worry.
5: mouth.
1: He, he edits out my mush mouth all the time. So,
2: <laughs> You care about your money. Of course, you do. So, why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily